0: For free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Lorraine Ballard-Morrell. On the line, we have Jennifer Block, who's written a book called Everything Below the Waste, Why Healthcare Needs a Feminist Revolution. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Lorraine. I'd like to begin by talking about how your book opens. And it's a story that you tell that's not unfamiliar. And that is a story of a woman who goes to the doctor, has a complaint, is seen by the doctor, and then things kind of go sideways. And despite the fact that she has questions, she is not heard. And I wonder if you can talk about that story for us.
1: Well, I wrote this book because I think we're having all these important conversations right now about how how people's power is undermined By gender or race, um, and people's power is being undermined, certainly in the medical system um, on those bases as well. Um, That particular story that you're referring to is the story of a woman who was in labor giving birth to her second baby, and everything seemed to be going fine. She was feeling like she needed to push, actually. She was almost fully dilated, and she had a midwife with her who thought everything was going fine, and um, a physician on call entered the room and told her, nope, actually, you need a C-section. Well, a C-section, you know, is a big, major surgery, and it seems reasonable that if someone is saying you need a C-section, out of the blue, you know, without having any prior knowledge of... A reason that it would be okay to ask questions, Um, but this this patient was threatened that the doctor would call legal people, Um, and that's usually code for child protective services. Or sometimes hospitals have even gone and got a court order um, to force a person into a C-section. You know, in general, in medicine, we as patients have rights to decide what happens to our bodies, Um, but that right is. Pretty routinely undermined in the context of maternity
0: care. One of the things that this brings up is the lack of voice or, or lack of being heard by many women who are in the medical establishment, oftentimes told that they're imagining things or they're making things up or it's going to be fine. And, uh, and that is a, a situation that has been in effect for Ever and ever, as long as uh, as we've had this medical establishment is concerned. But one of the other things that you talk about is the way that the feminist revolution, in many ways, did not support women in the ways that really created an effective empowerment. And and I have to say I'm a, a generation of our bodies ourselves, and I was having read that book, thinking, okay, we are here, we have arrived, we have empowerment, we know what we can do with our bodies, but in fact, um, that hasn't really evolved in the way that perhaps it could have, and I wonder if we can talk about that.
1: Yeah, you know, this was a big question I had um, when I started writing this book. You know, what what happened exactly? Why do we still have this medical system? In which women are so often still complaining that their pain is being dismissed as all in their head, or they're being told that they have to do something, um, that their rights aren't being respected. And I think it's helpful to understand the feminist health movement of the 70s as sort of a branch of the larger women's movement. And, you know, it was, it, it was tackling all these issues. The our bodies ourselves folks and um, the, you know those were the East Coast activists and there were the West Coast activists who wrote the books a new view of a woman's body and um, they were challenging the medical hierarchy that you know wait a minute wait a minute uh, doctors don't know everything they don't know they're not the experts of our bodies in fact their textbooks don't even have the correct anatomy half the time and they started questioning all these routine practices um, in typical gyn care and contraception and, and maternity care they wrote new texts, and they challenged the research that was going on completely on male bodies, even male rats. And they fought for they fought for women to have more curiosity about their own bodies and more respect and more control um, to really take back their bodies from a medical establishment that at the time was male-dominated, extremely male-dominated, and still very patriarchal and paternalistic. And that movement won a lot of games. And then what happened was that it kind of fell to the sidelines and the focus of the women's movement became more external. So looking away from our bodies and more toward getting into male spaces, getting jobs that had been closed off to women, getting rights to own homes and have credit cards and all those things. Right. I think that in many ways, the feminist health movement sort of fell back and got co-opted a little bit. Like a lot of the organizations that, we typically think of as as women's health advocacy they turned into organizations that take a lot of pharma funding now that are conduits for pharma campaigns and so the movement lost power and part of my my argument with this book is that we we kind of need to regain some of that spirit and that those ideas that the feminist health movement was putting forth.
0: Circling back to the story that you told about the C-section is that, um, C-sections are probably one of the most over-prescribed medical procedures that exist. And so much of it is, like it or not, is powered by the, the profit margin. The fact that there are so many different Fertility treatments, whether it's fertility treatments, whether it's C-sections, they're highly profitable. And I wonder if you can talk about how the profit motive has shaded and, and colored the way in which women's health has evolved over, over the years.
1: Yes. I mean, that is absolutely true, especially in the context of maternity care. You know, if you're someone who wants to have a, quote-unquote, natural birth, you want physiological support for the labor process you're going into a, an institution that depends on it giving you services to survive. So if you go in wanting a physiologic birth, you're saying no to all those services, like you're going into a restaurant and not ordering anything off the menu but taking up a table. So that's a big problem. But I also think that there's something deeper going on that is applicable across all the, the treatments that we come into contact with in our lifespans as women. And that is ideological, and it's about how we see female physiology and female organs, and we often see them as pathological, dysfunctional. In the context of, of birth, you know, we don't see it as beneficial to <laughs> to go through that process, even though now there's such a, bo- a humongous body of research, and the um, leaders in the field who are trying to reform maternity care know that this is true, that the best outcomes for both the baby and the mother, or the person giving birth, are when the, the process is supported, when the, the optimal birth is physiologic. Of course, that doesn't always work. Some people absolutely need intervention and emergency care and need Some people need C-sections. But the goal should be that the birth starts, the labor starts spontaneously, that the person, the woman's moving around, is eating and drinking, that she pushes in positions that help her push the baby out safely. Most women...
0: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly
1: beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? across the board in hospitals across the country have to be in bed. That is the worst position to be in. Whether you're lying back or even sitting up, it's the position that's most likely to cause trauma to the to women, to their bodies, to their sensitive parts, right? It lengthens labor, it causes the position of the baby to go off so, you know, we don't respect that process, and that's t- also true of the menstrual cycle. You know, we think of it as depleting, and it's a curse. Um, it's, you know, the, the hormonal contraception methods are actually sold to women as preventive health care, that they're just, you know, it's better to, to take hormonal contraception because it'll, quote-unquote, regulate your cycle. Well, it doesn't actually, it, it actually takes away the cycle, and it prevents beneficial hormones from, from being produced by our bodies. So we think of all these stages and, of course, menopause. Menopause has, you know, for decades been um, defined as a stage of estrogen deficiency, which was, you know, the way that the pharmaceutical industry marketed menopause and it's still so entrenched in our thinking. So we think of all these stages of our lives as being a threat or depleting when, in fact, the research shows that, we need to think of, of the physiology as important and our organs as important. We cut into or remove the uterus more than any other organ, regardless of gender. infections
0: and, and hysterectomies. Right. That is yeah. crazy. So um, I guess the other, the other thing, too, is that we can look to other countries and how they approach, for instance, maternity care. You talk about how we've basically medicalized and uh, made uh, pregnancy treated more like a disease than than a natural process. But in other countries, it's quite the opposite. And, and we're talking about developed countries. And we, in fact, being, you know, supposedly one of the developed countries, actually has one of the worst maternity death rates in the world. Yes, our maternal mortality rate is rising in the United States.
1: And our... Rates of preterm birth and low birth weight and infant mortality are not any better. And we spend the most, by far, than any other country on this quote-unquote care. But the fact of the matter is, yeah, if we look, if we look to other countries, even to Canada, <laughs> but, but especially to Europe, Japan, midwives are, are taking care of the majority of women they are the first-line primary maternity care providers, and their training is to support the physiologic process. In the United States, our system is sort of backwards. We have surgeons, OBGYNs, caring for the majority of normal, healthy, quote-unquote low-risk pregnant women, and we have one of the highest C-section rates. And it hasn't been, we haven't been able to budget. We've known it's a problem. It's been acknowledged as a problem for years now by the leaders in the field. And yet it's still kind of hovering right around, right, right below a third. So almost a third of births now in the U.S. happen by cesarean. And for those that don't, we, we see very high rates of, of injury and more, what we call morbidity, what the public health community calls morbidity. So we have this high maternal death rate and we also have... I think it's 50,000 estimated, quote, near misses. So these are seriously injured women who have now an infant to take care of and are recovering from major blood loss or a hysterectomy or, a, some, you know, a life-threatening complication that nearly killed them.
0: I wonder if we can talk to policy. We've seen a rollback on a number of policies that underwrite the the cost of contraception. We're seeing a lot of rollbacks and, and, and very issues and supports that, that help women and women's health. And I wonder if you can talk a bit about how you feel or how you feel we can, as citizens, as people who uh, want to advocate for better health care for women, what you see as the future and what you see as the actions that we as individuals can take. One big
1: problem continues to be the system, which is hurting everybody. The fact that we don't have universal coverage um, that we have to fight with our insurance companies to cover basic things. We all need that, and at the same time, I think that we need to be aware of this phenomenon of over-treatment. That just getting all the care you can get is not necessarily what's best in women's health. We have this idea that if we're being a good girl, we go and get our annual pap smear and we get our annual exam. And, you know, the guidelines for years now have been that you need that every three years or maybe five years, depending on your age and what other tests you get with it. And we don't ever need a routine pelvic by manual exam. The thing that we all we all know, we all dislike, yes. <laughs> and the research shows that it delivers a 98% false positive rate and anxiety and discomfort. <laughs> That's the value of that. And yet, you know, we still think of it as like, we're being good girls. You know, we're getting, we're getting, we're taking care of ourselves. We're getting, we're getting this care. You know, we have the same story with mammograms. The guidelines are different now than they were 10 years ago. We had a hard time with this sometimes. Even advocacy groups really resisted that. So I think we need to think about things a little more scientifically and ha- and have um, some of the skepticism that I think was lost with the, you know, the 70s feminist health skepticism. And in terms of abortion, it's really interesting. You know, I stumbled upon a network of people who are providing underground abortions again. They're they're getting a hold of misoprostol, one of the drugs in the um, medical abortion regimen. It's very cheap. It's very easy to order it. Veterinarians carry it. And it works most of the time. And they're sending that to people, handing it out. Um, and there is also, you know, these are, we're talking about a network of like hundreds of people at this point who are learning, relearning the methods of manual vacuum aspiration, what, what you would get in the clinic perhaps. I've got to say you know it looks it looks like it's very likely that abortion will be illegal again in several states. That's a reality I think we all are grappling with, and it gives me comfort that people are relearning these methods and and taking matters into their own hands. So you know, I think that we need to know and tell other people that those pills exist they work they work most of the time, they're very safe, and you can get emergency care at the hospital if you need to without putting yourself at any risk. abortion. Hasn't been surgical. The procedure hasn't been surgical for for forty, fifty years. It's very low tech, very safe, and so I think we need to dispel the myth of the dangerous home abortion, the dangerous back alley abortion. It's a different world now.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. Just as our bodies, ourselves, was a, a book that truly um, opened my eyes and so many women's eyes to the issues of women and women's health. So does everything below the waist. Why healthcare needs a feminist revolution. Jennifer Block, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. I'm Lorraine Ballard Marl.
1: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com.
0: It's my little escape.
1: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon.
2: Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs>